Welcome to the Hadassah Collective. I'm your host, Claire Marinan. The Hadassah Collective podcast brings together a carefully curated selection of my most trusted and inspiring innovators from every area of the health and wellness space. I invite my guests to freely share their gifts, their wisdom, their journeys, and their diverse points of view, discussing a whole range of topics, including yogic science, present-day philosophy, integrated diet and fitness, modern mental health, non-denominational religion, and holistic lifestyle. All of this to inspire our community with accessible tools to align each individual with who they truly are created to be, to consciously evolve their lives and extend their unique divine light into the world. In this episode, I speak with a longtime friend of the Harasa Collective, Jackie Viramontes. Jackie is an energy therapist and clinical EFT practitioner specializing in childhood trauma. A lot has changed since we last welcomed Jackie to the show. She has become a mother and we have survived an unsettling couple of years during the pandemic. So there's a lot for us to catch up on. We discuss practices that have supported us and have also helped us thrive and grow through uncertain times, and also how motherhood has given her a fresh perspective on inner child work. We also dive into her new portal, Practice Makes Peace, which is jam-packed with helpful meditations, EFT tapping, breath work, and EMDR practices that can be integrated into anyone's schedule. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Hadassah Collective, Jackie Viramontes. It is amazing to have you back. So much has changed in your life since we last spoke on the podcast. You are now a mother, you've bought a new home, you've launched a new product. Um, it's amazing to have you back. For those listeners that haven't heard our previous episode, please go back and listen to that episode. Um, but Jackie, for those people who haven't met you yet, um, can you just introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yes. And I'm so glad to be back. I was telling my husband, I feel like I'm just getting on to talk to an old friend. So thank you. It's an honor. <laughs> but yes, I am Jackie Vermontes. I'm an author. I am an EFT trainer. Um, tapping is what people think of with EFT. So EFT practitioner and trainer, I spend a lot of my time teaching counselors and coaches how to use trauma-based modalities. And that's me. And I did, I launched a new product to help people with their mental health. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. I love it. I think that it's, um, it's a really, really powerful product. So why don't we start and talk about that actually? And, um, let people know what is what is in this portal and um, the different modalities that you use, because I love that you combine different forms of meditation and different um, like tapping techniques and things like that in this portal. I think it's really useful. Hmm, I love it. I'm so glad you're in there and getting to dive in because, you know, you'll have to tell me what it what it needs. But yeah, it's my I call it my practice makes peace portal. You know, I feel like you've read a lot of my stuff, but I just really believe that some of us who are like self-healers, some people resonate with spirit junkies, whatever it is, like when you are just kind of obsessed with your own growth, it can become this per almost like a form of our own perfectionism where it's like, yeah. what else do I need to fix? What else do I need to do? Where else can I heal? At least for me, that's what it was like. Um and that's why I call it practice makes peace, because I don't think we're on this path to perfection, but 
where can we explore the things that are stealing our peace, whether relationship dynamic or a childhood wound and really make peace with it. Because I, I do think that our peace is, is our personal power. So yeah, it is a, it's an arsenal of tools. You saw it's like dozens of EFT meditations and it's breath work. It's inner child work. There's yoga videos. So all the tools that I've accumulated over the years of my practice um, is in there. And I try to do it based on topic that I think topics that I think people are really struggling with and really do steal their piece. So I can elaborate in any way, shape or form, just ask away or direct me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, one thing I really like about your portal and actually your um, your practice and your um, point of view is that a lot of times like some of these self-healing techniques, like it feels really big. It feels really daunting. Like, oh, what are all of my childhood limiting beliefs? And I've got to heal these before I can do anything in life or whatever. And I, I mean, I personally don't think that that is like the approach to take. But what I love about Practice Makes Peace is you can jump in there and it's really about like, okay, I'm feeling some anxiety or I'm feeling not motivated, you know, depending on which one you can jump into whichever section. And it's more about like, let's just feel, feel better 10 minutes from now, or let's feel more motivated 10 minutes from now, or let's release some of that anxiety instead of being like, we've got to heal everything. We've got to be, you know, again, like you said, the perfectionism. Um, So that was something that I really appreciated. And I've used it a lot, actually, like in terms of, um, one of the ones that I really love is the the boundaries one, or the, I think it's the people pleasing section. And I just jump in there when I know that mm-hmm. I have to set a boundary, it's a little uncomfortable for me. And I just jump in there, do that. And then I'm set to like move in and, and, and go and call that person or talk to that person. So I love that. Oh, yes. Um, I just uploaded the new one. Remember, there was one called Unapologetic that said coming soon. So I just uploaded that yesterday. So that's in the people pleasing section by popular request. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love I love hearing that. I mean, how I see it is I, I always I always say this analogy. Maybe I said it last time. But it's like it's like teeth cleaning. You know, you go to the dentist or we're supposed to go to the dentist, what, every three months, every six months. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't say the last time I went, no oh gosh. But it's like, we need those deep cleans. Like we need to go to our a practitioner sometimes and do the really heavy lifting work, but then we need to know how to brush and floss. Like we need tools at home that maintain what we're working on. And that's how I see it. It's there are, I think the longest one in there is what, 25 minutes, but mm-hmm. I think most people are using the five to 10 minute ones because that's what people have time for. Yeah. So when I first started in my private practice, Claire, I would give people these exercises and it's like, if they're not using it because they don't have time, what's the point of sharing it? You know, it's, I'm so busy. I get it. It's like, if we only have five or 10 minutes each morning, um, that's what we need. And it's like, you just need this little shift, this little toothbrush, this little floss to kind of just maintain that deeper work. Yeah. And they both have a place. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And they have, um, 
they do both have a place but sometimes um you're like oh i don't have i don't have time to sit for an hour in meditation or something like that mm-hmm. um to be able to kind of like do that that deeper work and sometimes you also just need that like little reinforcement and so i found those really useful but i also really like your yoga videos too like they're really approachable and i liked the um I, I really liked the approach of like, you know, anxious bodies need to move. And it's funny because I've never really thought of myself as an anxious person. Um, but recently I've kind of like, I think it's coming out of isolation and all of that kind of stuff and like reopening the world over the last year that it's like, oh, maybe I just have really had that kind of like pushed down. And so it's sort of allowed me to to, to release some of that like anxiety that I maybe wasn't, you know, acknowledging even, you know, so that's been really nice for that as well. Completely. And I don't know when you do it. I tend to be a morning yoga person, but I think the breath work in yoga, I mean, I'm very Hatha based where it's Mm -hmm. a lot of awareness on the breath. It's like, we think it's the yoga postures that are waking up our body. And I mean, I'm someone who can nerd on, on how it's clearing different meridian channels too, but it's like the breath work that is waking you up, quieting your nervous system and like setting up your whole day to be a lot more integrated, which is why I love yoga. That was definitely my first gateway drug into the healing world with yoga when I was little. Definitely. Absolutely. I was the same. And um, for those of you that haven't listened to our, our previous um, episode, can you tell us a little bit about EFT tapping? Because you're my EFT tapping guru. And um, <laughs> like I, I really love the practice. I think it's so powerful and it can be done really quickly. As, as I said, like if I'm, you know, something comes up within me, even if I'm like, you know, triggered by a family member and it's at the dinner table and I just can take myself away from that situation for five minutes, do some EFT tapping, and I can respond in a way that is like much more empowering than me just like reacting and shutting that person down or whatever the reaction is, you know? So I, again, think this is a really powerful practice. And um, so tell us a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it too. It's so simple. It stands for emotional freedom technique if someone hasn't heard of it. And it's most people call it tapping because that's what you're doing. You're tapping stress, re- stress reducing points on the face and torso. Um, there's also some advanced points. And what it's doing is they act like off switches to your fight or flight. Each of the points are associated with one of the main meridians, like an acupuncture, and they're also connected to that fight or flight response, your amygdala. So just tapping them, like you were saying, just tapping them for five minutes lowers your body's natural stress set point. It's lowering the stress and cortisol levels for the next like two hours is what studies have shown. And then like, yeah, it's, it's just like, why wouldn't you do that? So it's so simple. It's like this full body, physiological, emotional, calming practice. But when, as you know, when you think about something that would activate your stress, like sitting at that family table with that relative (laughs) or that really big to-do list, or I know public speaking used to be horrifying to me. If you think about that thing and use the tapping points, you're teaching your body to stay calm when you face it. It's like 
you yeah. go to that dinner table and you've taught your body, Hey, Hey body, this is actually chill. We can actually be calm and collected. We don't need to go into reaction or coping or survival. We can just be integrated in our body. And that's what helps us just show up and be present and speak more from like, Oh, I'm speaking as I would want to not from that reaction place. So I absolutely love it for reprogramming triggers. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that was a long, a longish answer, but I, you can use it on honestly anything. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I really love it. And I, I think um, what's becoming very popular, I think in the um, wellness space now is, um, is this self, tools for self-regulation, which I think mm-hmm. is really, really important because, um, you know, as I'm the same, actually, like yoga was my first sort of introduction into this space as well. And, um, you know, so I think we've moved on from that. And then we've, you know, I think we went, really went into the space in terms, I'm talking in terms of trends in the industry, but like, um, mm-hmm. it was very, you know, we are, there is a lot of trauma informed work, which I think was really important because I think that was something that was missing for a really long time. And then I think for a second, people got really obsessed with everything as trauma, you know, and now we've kind of moved into like, well, okay. Like, you know, life happens, like life is never going to be perfect. It doesn't necessarily mean it's like deep, you know, it's like trauma, but um, (laughs) then it's um, we've, you know, but there is, it is our responsibility to sort of figure out how to self-regulate, right? And I think that that's what these tools are so powerful for. You can totally use it on the deepest trauma work, right? And yep. that's why I got into it. And then you can use it to teach your body that there's a new way. I mean, you're, I love how aware you are of the trend because I'm like, that is totally the flow. That is totally what happened. <laughs> Uh, everyone yeah, had to was right on it right? Well. like everyone everyone <laughs> was like we all and I'm like everyone does but so funny yeah. um I, I think that everyone does have childhood trauma and I think that a lot oh, of yeah. them are not aware of like what trauma can be like and to someone like a tra- traumatic event can be something that's really big and everyone would label as traumatic event but for a child something that we may not think is traumatic causes them to have a trauma response. Right. And so exactly. I can't like whitewash over that, but then I sort of feel like, I mean, I just always noticed on Instagram, it was like, everything was like, Oh, it rained today. That must be because of your childhood trauma. It's like, no, it's not, you know, <laughs> I know it's funny. Yeah, it's funny good. how it's good. It's, it's the yeah. good necessary pendulum swing of awareness. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, trauma is not those big T's. It's all the little things that happen that put us, yeah. that teach our body that we have to be hypervigilant, but mm. it is, it's like, we have to go back and process those things. Right. Yeah. But you have to fill it. Then you have to fill it. Like I'm, I'm someone who experienced a lot of trauma and all I was doing was trauma work. And I almost was, I wouldn't say re-traumatizing myself because I was using these tools that are really effective and trauma-informed, but I wasn't teaching my body a new way. Yeah. That's why, I mean, I, I hope you did look at those, those three pillars that, that video series yes. I put in there because it's like, one, we have to listen, like, what is our body holding? That's that first pillar. And then the second pillar is like, let me release it. And I almost got stuck 
as I guess culturally we did stuck in like, what do I need to release? What do I need to let go? Yeah. But then there's that third pillar of, well, once I let it go, what am I going to embody? And that's more what I'm moving in now, especially as I, with my son, I have a 14 month old to anyone who doesn't know. Um, and it's like, we need to learn how to embody a new way. Like I can't, as a mom, be focused on always on what are my wounds? How, what patterns are hurting me? I need to be like, well, how am I going to show up for him? Who can, I don't have time to go do that work right now. I just need to show up as an integrated boundary person right now. Mm-hmm. And we need to learn tools to just do that. Like, okay, how do I show up and have boundaries, even though I know there is still more stuff to heal. And how do I show up and be graceful towards my husband, even though there are some triggers I probably can go work on when I have time, but there's like a whole set of like exercises and tools out there to help us really resource, integrate and embody that energy that we want. And that's what I was missing. It's honestly why I made it like a whole third pillar because I think a lot of us who are comfortable with healing um, can get stuck in that. And I, I, I'm like really excited about it because I feel like it's a new version of my healing is really doing that embodying work. And now yeah. in, instead of just focusing on the releasing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's actually a really important integral part. And I think, you know, some of it, maybe people who are attracted to this kind of work and healing also have this kind of perfectionism streak. And I've definitely noticed even myself get into this space of like, look, always looking, there's got to be something to heal. You know, what, if, what can I fix next? And mm-hmm. so I love that you touched on that at the, at the beginning is that like, you know, no, that, and especially with when you do have children, like you said, it's like, no, I've got to show up for him. You know, I've, I need to show up for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're not ever going to be that perfect person, that perfect parent. So it's like, how can I show up with, you know, and letting that stuff just be and go and, you know, recognizing there's not always something that needs to be fixed. We're always growing, but it's not about fixing and aiming for perfection. Exactly. And it's like a big thing that I've been learning. And what you just said is making me think about it again. It's like, what if the only thing left that I have to fix is feeling like I'm not enough right now? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's like, wow. when when is the never ending well of fixing done? And, mm-hmm. I, and I just think it's it's part of our healing is to go, you know what? So our per- perfectionist healing. Yeah. Just to go, you know what, what if I just focused on all the ways I've grown and all the ways that I am enough and that that's part of it. So every time I hear that voice of still this, it's like, but it's okay. If I don't address that, it's I'm okay. I'm enough. If I never address it, yeah. knowing full well that I'm going to go address it, but just having <laughs> that attitude towards it, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just led a workshop. I just led an inner child workshop this past weekend for practitioners and you know, we don't have time to do full sessions. So they're more abbreviated. Mm. So at the end, we do something called sneaking away. Um, You know, we kind of put it back in a box where it's safe until we have time to come back. But something we always say is, you know, we've done more inner work in this last 20 minutes than most people have in their whole life. So it's okay that we didn't tie up all the loose ends here. 
like we can put it away for now. And it's just, it's a good reminder. And we usually have a good little laugh about it of like that pressure we feel to fix it or perfectionize it is so real. It becomes just a to-do list of, of healing Mm -hmm. (laughs) triggers and things like that. So, and I love the perfectionism again, is another section in your, um, in your portal and it's, it's really good. And the, the other things that I did think that were really different about your portal is you do go into a lot of detail about your process. So you have this full understanding going in, like exactly what each of the modalities do. And so I thought that, that was really powerful as well. Mm. Yeah, like the inner child. I'm, I don't know if you want to talk about any more in depth, but I think yeah. inner child work can seem daunting. Parts work is new to some people. Um, or even eye movements. I know that a lot of your listeners have probably read The Body Keeps the Score and that talks about EMDR, but I'd love, it's like there's the practitioner way of doing it. And then there's the, the tools you can use at home version, which can be so helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like inner child work to me is just going back and like giving ourselves the gift of filling our needs as a, as a kid, it's like never become more real as it is now, as I see my son and I see his needs and I see the way that I feel like I don't feel them sometimes and the ways that I have to go out of my own needs to fill his. And I'm like, man, all the little ways that our needs don't get filled as a kid, we can kind of go back and, and give our body the experience of, Hey, what would it have been like if I had a mom who was able to be really present? What if I had the experience of a mom who, or a dad who was able to feel like really hold space for my feelings instead of taking them personally, or instead of um, feeling agitated by them? Like, what would that have been like for me as a kid? And it's not to spiritually bypass like, I don't think inner, that kind of inner child work is spiritually bypassing or saying, oh, that didn't happen or it didn't hurt me. It's just giving ourselves that gift of like, how, how could I think about myself? How would I think about others? How would I relate to my world if I had that experience? And if I can cultivate that on an emotional level, an energetic level in a meditation, what's stopping me from doing that in my life? And that, that's what I love about inner child work. Yeah. yeah, I think it's, it's really probably important. my favorite. It's probably what I'll be leaning more towards as I continue okay. in my career. I think it's the most important. Do you think that has really come to the forefront since you've become a mother? Is that been um, how, it's, how it's getting more attention from you since you became a mother? Oh, 800%. 800%. I mean, I'm an identical twin. I don't know if you yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Okay. I'm a twin. So one, I had so much compassion for my mom as soon as I gave birth, like <laughs> just all the ways, like, I love How my did mom. You do two of us? <laughs> I know. Feeling well? I'm like, she already had a two-year-old. Oh. So I'm like all the ways that I judged her and I love her, but you know, you have your little tips with your mom and your, the ways you think that they didn't do enough. And as soon as you have that kid and you're just at your wit's end, you're sleep deprived, you're like, Oh my God. Like, of course, like you were, I want to curse right now. I'm like, you are doing your best. 
Like, and that's all you could do. And you did an amazing job. Like suddenly all those flaws I was projecting on her, I'm like, damn woman, you are a superhero and I have no permission to ever think badly of you. But that's one thing. But it did make me want to go. It's almost like my focus left the realm of how did other people wound me? How did, you know, the scarcity mentality of my family of origin wound me to just no? how can I just fill those needs that no person can fill because no one's perfect. So it definitely did. And honestly, speaking of the body keeps the score. Mm. I do feel like, and I've experienced it viscerally where when my son's going through something, it almost stirs up maybe similar parallel experiences I probably had as a kid. Right. Um, And it's just made me really interested in, you know, when he's struggling to fall asleep, it's like, what are all the times that maybe I was like scared or not knowing what's going on, not knowing what's going on in my body. And I'll just hold him. And instead of, you know, just kind of being bored, holding him for the 20th, 30th minute, I'm like, let me just meditate here and imagine I'm holding myself, like holding my infant self and wow. kind of just being that presence that I think I needed um, and that he needed. And it, it's one to make me feel like I'm doing something productive when I get a little bored um, in the middle of the night. But I do think it's rolling our body. Yes. Oh my gosh. When your child does not let you scroll because it'll keep them up, you get creative. <laughs> oh my gosh. Totally. So it has 800%. I find inner child work really, really interesting. And, um, but I also find it cha- challenging probably one of the more challenging modalities actually for me, which is interesting that like this is becoming the forefront for you. And I acknowledge, I, I love mm-hmm. it. I think it's really important, but sometimes I have this like immense sense of guilt because like, I love mm-hmm. my parents. They're amazing. They're not perfect, obviously, but, and it's so funny that I, I sometimes I feel like, and I'm, I'm saying this because I'm sure that other people also experience this, um, that when I'm doing inner child work, I can think, okay, so, you know, my mom's personality doesn't necessarily allow for this. So what would it look like if I had a parent that, you know, had that type of personality? And one of the things that I had to get past to be able to do inner child was releasing that guilt, you know, because I was like, oh my, you know, almost felt like I was betraying them by doing this inner child work or what have you. So I'm not sure if that's something that you've found that comes up with, with your clients and things like that. And how do you address that? Yeah. While you were talking, I was thinking, I wish you'd record this because I feel like you just articulated it so well. <laughs> like I even know um, my husband has a hard time, you know, talking about childhood or working on it because it's as if you're suddenly not being loyal to your family, especially mm-hmm. when there's like a lot of love. It's like, inner child works easy when you don't like your parents. Yeah. But I think totally people feel guilt and it comes up all the time. It's like, there needs to be a justification of, but they were great, but they were great. That's what I see a lot is that yeah. justification. Um, My yeah, justification I totally they relate. Doing the best that they could do. Like they were, I know they wanted the best for us and they were doing the best that they could express at the time. That's my, that's always my justification. So that's funny. <laughs> totally. And it's almost like 
imagine I'm kind of just verbally processing right now, but it's like, imagine, um, that your parents were totally confident and you totally trusted them that anything you said to them, they had such wonderful confidence and self-worth that they could take it. You'd be like, you know what, when you said that thing to me as a kid, like when I brought home that art project and you were distracted and just asked me about like where my stuff was or whatever, that like really made me feel like I shouldn't like pursue creativity or whatever it is. Mm. And they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like I had no idea. So I almost see it as like, when we go in and do work on ourselves, it's like, what if we just pretended our parents were so integrated and confident that they could handle it, that it's not personal, just in the way that the more inner child work you do, we realize wow, that had nothing to do with me. Their behavior, their choices had nothing to do with me. It's like, okay, me having to go and work on this because it wounded me has nothing to do with them. Mm -hmm. Like, this is my stuff. This is my wounds that has to do with maybe my unique blueprint or, you know, some people believe, you know, well, we know like inherited trauma. My parents are just pointing this out. So it doesn't really have to do with them. And that's kind of how I'm, think about it or frame it. It's like, it's not personal. This we're hurting because we're hurting. It has, maybe it has nothing to do with them. They just were a catalyst right. for our growth. Um, I don't know if it's a, yeah, never mind. It popped out of my head, but I get it. That's such a normal feeling and like such love and honor. Oh, here, I'm just going to share one more thing because I literally did a whole inner child work workshop and yeah. it's just so on my mind. Give but... us the goodies. Give us. <laughs> <laughs> we, this came up in the workshop where people were like, well, you know, I feel bad doing this, but the, we did this exercise and we did it on inherited trauma. So you can actually do it thinking of an ancestor. And what we did is I just had everyone pick a pattern that they feel like is in their family, you know, whether it's scarcity or people pleasing or infidelity, things they've seen passed down um, from mother to child, father to son. And what we do in the exercise, and I learned this in learning how to heal epigenetically, Mm -hmm. is you honor the longing but you ditch the method. So I don't know if you're, I'm going to tangent for a second to explain, but are you an Esther Perel fan? She's that relational psychologist. Yeah. She's amazing. Amazing. Wrote mating in captivity. Everyone should read it. Specializes in infidelity, but when she counsels couples and they're starting to like tiff, you know, they're starting to like rub each other the wrong way. She's like, let's pause. I want you to hear the longing. I want you to listen for their longing. Don't listen for the complaint. Don't listen for the argument. Don't listen for how they're wrong. Listen for what are they longing? And usually they're just longing for love. They're longing for respect. They're longing for something that anyone could be like, you know what? I I can recognize and value that that's what you are needing and longing for right now. So when you're doing that inherited work or that inner child work and you're looking at your parents, it's like, well, what were they longing for? So Mm. even like I have a great relationship with my dad, 
now. Um, and he was lovely in many ways, but he was very verbally aggressive, like had a huge temper. Like it was terrifying and left a lot of wounds that I had to work through. Um, but when I look for the longing every time he just wants respect. And when I go deeper down, he wants to know he's doing a good job. So when he's flips and when he has no patience, it's because there's this little kid there testing that respect. There's this little kid saying, see, you're not good at this. See, you're, see, you must be dumb. You must be bad at this, or they would respect you, or they would never have said that to you. And it's like deep down, there's this inner child in him who just wants to feel like he's doing a good job and wants to feel like he's worthy of respect. So it's like, I can, re- I can value and honor your longing dad, but I cannot get on board with, I cannot get down with the method that you're asking for it. Yelling. I can't get on board with. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the beauty. So it's like, I respect you parents, but maybe I, I don't want to carry on the method. And, um, I have this image in the, there's a little PowerPoint slide at the workshop where it's like this domino line and there's a hand in the domino. And when we respect and honor the longing, like we go, okay, I can pass down to my son, Parker, this desire for respect. What a beautiful family value. Like let's respect each other. Let's have boundaries for respect, but let's stop this legacy of anger, which I totally carry from my dad and impatience. And then we update the method. So what you do in that exercise is you imagine, well, what would it have been like for him to ask for respect in a method that I can get on board with? And it's like, wow, that could have been really good modeling of boundaries. That could have been really good modeling of like rules. I didn't have a lot of rules growing up (laughs) Um, and not a lot of boundaries being modeled. There was just a lot of like explosiveness So it's getting to see and play out in your mind what what it would have felt like to have a parent who was like, you know what, you're not allowed to say that to me and I'm not going to let you talk to me or anyone like that. So go to your room as opposed to taking it personally and exploding um, and being pretty violent about it. So that, that would be my if someone's having trouble with inner child work, I should probably make a meditation in there and put it in for you guys. But just ask yourself, what are they longing for? What is their method? What method would I choose? Okay. And it really helps the forgiveness process too, because you can, you don't have to forgive the method, but you can forgive the person who didn't know how to ask for what they were longing for, because they probably didn't have the modeling and they probably have trauma that they haven't worked. Of course, of course. And I, I look, I think our generation, you know, I read a meme somewhere a long time ago that we're like the generation of the, um, the dumping ground for all of this generational trauma. And it's like, you know, our grandparents were kind of like post-war, um, were busy, re- you know, building a life. And then our parents were kind of like, you know, growing that life. And then I think that, we, you know, we have the space in a way to be able to to really look at these things and sort of clear that that generational trauma, but it's I mean it's it's it's, it's challenging, <laughs> but, you know. But um, I think that's an amazing amazing method. I've never really looked at it that way to sort of see, you know, because oftentimes in this work we'll be like, okay, well, you know, 
that triggers me because I, you know, that was, that's a wound that I carry because of this, but it's like, we don't, it's like almost taking it that step further to go, well, what were they trying to get out of that behavior towards you? Do you know what I mean? What were they wanting to do? You know, like say your, your mother, you know, like if you're a kid, some people, I've read it in a million books that it's used an example all the time. Like, you know, your mom didn't have, you were trying to show her a painting that you'd done or whatever, and she didn't have time. It's like, um, and so people take on board that like what I say and what I do is like not, not worth anyone's time. And mm -hmm. um, you can take that a little bit deeper by going, you know, what was, what was her need that wasn't being met in that moment? Right. And um, yeah, mm. exactly. Exactly. Was she overwhelmed? Was she trying to rush you somewhere? Was she hope like trying to not let you be late somewhere? Yeah. Um, it's like, we've all heard the example too of, you know, you bring home the A minus and it's like, well, why isn't it an A plus or the hundred percent? It's like, well, what are they longing for? They want you to be their best. Is their method totally messed up and totally hurtful? Yes. Yeah. But they have this anxiety of having you do their best. And probably deep down, they're wanting to know that they are good enough mm. because, you know, it's like, what did I do that made them not get that a, like, should I have studied more with them? Was I, did I even know they had a test? Like, you don't know what is going on in their mind. So it's, yeah, it's digging below and, and really seeing what's going on there. I'm briefly interrupting this episode to bring you some information on one of my most favorite resources, the Kundalini Lounge. If you have been listening to this podcast for a little while, you will know that I'm a daily practitioner of Kundalini Yoga. I find it to be such a powerful practice to move stagnant energy through and out of the body using breath and sound and movement. And the Kundalini Lounge brings together some of the most experienced teachers in the industry and they have put together an entire video library consisting of hundreds of videos for you to choose from. And there are specific videos that target ailments that you might be struggling with or wanting a specific outcome. And there are also different workshops as well that explain some of the dynamics in Kundalini Yoga on and off the mat. So it's an incredible resource to have and they are inviting you to join their community for the first seven days for free. So you can register at kundaliniloungecom And after that, when you use the promo code Hadassah, you also receive an extra 20% off any membership type that you will choose. So I hope you enjoy this resource as much as I do and get a lot out of it. Mm. I mean, the big thing with people pleasing, it's like, we just all want to be loved. So I think the healing happens much faster when we honor instead of just rejecting like you're you're into chakras right yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like that root chakra loyalty like we have this loyalty to our tribe mm -hmm. um and I think the energetic and behavioral shifts happen a lot faster when we go well what is my tribe like what is what what's this loyalty that we have? Like we really want that acceptance and love. That's part of our tribal values. Okay. And how do we update that for the new generation? Okay. Be our full authentic self. That's gonna get me love. Cause if I'm being fake, there's no love for me. <laughs> there's a love for some mask. So maybe that's how our tribe now honors that value of love. 
Mm. Maybe I'm getting too meta, but you know, it's like, I think there's a lot faster healing and our, our literal energy system gets on board with the shift faster. If we honor part of it, as opposed to just being like, I can't believe they passed down such scarcity, such insecurity, such people pleasing. They let them walk all over, you know, let me tap away all my anger. Then what, then what do we fill it with? It's like when we have that core loyalty of like, well, let's fill it with a new way to get true acceptance and love. I just, I've seen how it, the whole body, the whole system gets on board faster and the shifts happen faster. Yeah, absolutely. I like that as well. Upgrading the method, you know, for the modern, for, for modern times, I think, you know, like that's, yeah. that's kind of what we're doing. Um, because and I just have to say, I love set total just ADD moment, but the birds chirping in the background are so great. <laughs> it's like, talk about like a nice soothing environment, but okay, go on. <laughs> yeah. So maybe, nice. Yeah. I think the upgrading it. Right now, like, like what an upgrade, yeah. like such an upgrade where you live. I'm so jealous, but anyway. I mean, where <laughs> you are as well. You. Are you still in Santa Barbara? Is that where you are? Oh, I'm in Sonoma County. So I'm up in Santa Rosa. So I moved from LA during the pandemic. And I, oh, which that's how I know that I was not pregnant on the last podcast because I found the day after we signed um, the papers to move up here, like the lease, I found out I was pregnant. So this baby wanted to not be in LA. I was like, maybe that's why it took so long. Absolutely. so long to get pregnant. It was like, I need you to get like, get the home ready for me and then I'll come. That's so amazing. Actually. Oh my gosh. This baby has taught me like, not about your timing, Jackie. Yeah. I literally, I think all the things that we thought could have been causing the delays, it was like, yeah, he just was waiting to make sure that his home was in Sonoma County and he loves it here. It is like nature Beautiful. everywhere. So, so great kids everywhere. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the cities in California at the moment, I just think, you know, cause I'm from LA as well. And it's just, I mean, I, I just don't think it's a great place to be person, personally, you know, it's like a really challenging time. I think. Um, since, Especially uh, for sensitive people, people who are sensitive to others' emotions. He didn't, we just went down for this interview thing I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um and he was frantic and he is the most mellow guy. I'm like, wow, he is picking up on the energy here. And I love, I love Venice. We were in Venice and yeah. I love it, but it is, it's like such a different energy. It's such a different vibe. Very much so. Very much so. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, I've always had this theory about cities as well, but it's just like, um, there's so many like energetic beings, you know, humans, like there's so many energetic bodies that are you're never out of someone's auric field if you live in it. Like, I mean, I lived in Bombay, right? So it's like 25 million people in one city. And so you're, you're really never out of that. You're never clearing out of that um, energetic field of other people. And I think that's why they have a much more frenetic kind of pace because you're always bumping up against somebody else's aura. Um, I don't know totally. there's any science to that, but like, um, that's my, no, there is science to mm-hmm. it. I've like taught the studies on it. There's actually a study. It's like, um, what, well, 
maybe not the, there's, there's definitely stuff on how many people I'm just thinking of New York city, but they've done stuff where your neighbors, neighbors of neighbors, neighbors of neighbors, like where they look at how close and it say my neighbor is going through something, they would record people's happiness levels, um, like on a baseline and you'd be, it would affect you like 35% if they were direct neighbors it was like 20% if they were, you know, a block away and 10%. It was like where I was living at the time when I read it, I'm like, oh my gosh. So I've got to be worried about like these people, 24 homes. So just imagine if you're in a, like I grew up on the East coast where everyone was in Manhattan. It's like your one building is like that affecting you 35%. That's how close they are. Do you know what I mean? So it totally is. And the same goes for positive. So if your okay. neighbor's like vibing out, living their dream, their full authentic life, you will get that 35% boost. So, I mean, look at, I'm like, so if you're in Bali and everyone's just living the life or Costa Rica, I'm like, no wonder you feel so good. People are just like, that is a total general, like sweeping statement, but i just have this idealized version that everyone's just like happy, relaxed. So that's going to affect me by 35% and then out to 10%, um, depending on the degree of how far they are. So it's totally scientific. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. So when you're having a good day, just know it's like literally rippling out to your neighbors. (laughs) That's your responsibility to, to heal yourself and you know live a positive life and um because you are literally I do think that though that I think that that is the greatest service that you can do for the world is to clear like a lot of these old traumas a lot of these limiting beliefs and so that you can kind of like extend your divine light in the world is how I put it and I think that's a great responsibility to humanity to be to be really honest like beyond other successes that we, you know, that we as a society define as success. I think that's our greatest contribution, honestly. That's a beautiful gift. It's a beautiful gift. Yeah. 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 So let's it's like, yeah, <laughs> <Sorry>. go on. <laughs> I was just going to segue into let's, um, let's chat a little bit about motherhood and how that has um, shifted things for you. And um, we were talking, laughing a little bit. <laughs> Before we jumped on the podcast, there's so many things that, you know, I have another friend who's just had a baby and she's just like, no one ever told me this. What is the biggest no one ever told me this moment in terms of motherhood? <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. Um, I had no idea. And I just have to tell everyone, like, if you're in this place, you know, man. And I'm someone who tried, well, I just posted about it because it is infertility awareness week right now as we record but it's like we tried for so long too so all the bad times you almost top on the guilt because you're like wow I should never even feel any negative emotion we tried so long Mm. um so but the things people don't tell you okay everyone tells you that you will not sleep but I don't, I don't think people can like wrap their head around what that means. Um, this is what I talk about with my husband. I'm like, okay, I think I've nailed the feeling. It is when you, you take a red eye flight, like from LA to 
France, but then you have to immediately get back on the red eye flight back. And then as soon as you land, you're back on, it's like red eye flights back to back to back so that you're at the point where you're, you know, in this beautiful place, right? Everyone's like, oh, but you're a beautiful child. Mm. And you're staring at the Eiffel Tower or someone just literally proposes to you on the Eiffel Tower and there's champagne and a live band, whatever. Pink booms, beautiful picture. Like that's how you should feel about your child. Oh my gosh, so beautiful. But all you're feeling is all that jet lag and you're like, wow, that's so pretty. (laughs) And you literally can't feel anything because you're so jet lagged. Oh my gosh. That is how it feels. That is what I tell people when I don't say you don't sleep. I say, you know what jet lag feels like? That's how you feel. So you can't enjoy the things you know you should be enjoying. And that's what sucks and doesn't resonate with someone who sleeps really well on a plane. But I have been in many a beautiful place and I'm just staring at the most beautiful scenery, just feeling numb inside. And that to a T is like, I'm like, I think that's the best description I have. <laughs> so that's what people don't tell you. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah, because I mean, all our advertising and everything like that is always like, you know, it's just, you're just going to be so filled with love that everything else, you know, is, and that that is true. Like there, there's no denying that, but I get what you mean when your body is so exhausted it's like, yeah. I know that I'm feeling this love and I absolutely love this little human, but I, I, there's a, there's a, there's a numbness, there's a cloudiness, a barrier to like, to really, um, like embody <laughs> it or something, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's like, you're out of your body. It is. Um, I remember my, my midwives saying, Oh, well the oxytocin and endorphins when you press feed, aren't you just high? And I'm like, Ooh what oxytocin I have this kid like kind of biting my one nipple and pulling on the other one like oh my gosh I love breastfeeding now but in the beginning stages it's it it's hard it hurts your body's getting used to it and I was like if you talk about oxytocin one more time (laughs) um and now I can feel her. I'm like, oh, I do feel a little lift after nursing him. But man, in the beginning, no way. Wow. No way. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, because some people just, I mean, some people are really into breastfeeding and, you know, and others, it's just a real, it's a real challenge. And like, both are absolutely normal. You know, I think. Oh That's my gosh. Yeah. And as someone who is like leans towards perfectionism, how do you, um, how do you deal with mom guilt? Cause I know that that's oh, man. a big thing. And I, I know that you'll be, you, you'll be someone who will have some amazing tools for people to be able to kind of deal with that. Mom guilt. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. I call with my one friend, we call it martyr mom too. We're like, yeah. ah, I was such a martyr mom today where you like, leave out the cleaning thing so your husband sees that you were cleaning and taking care of your kid and <laughs> harder mom so that's why I'm not a good example but how do I deal with mom guilt what what I helps me that perfection is, is trying to be a perfection the trying to be totally. the perfect parent because I think what it is as well is that now like we're quite aware of what um you know 
of our childhood traumas, I guess, right? And so as, you know, as a practitioner of this, you must be sort of hyper aware of like, I don't want to pass this down to my children, right? And so how do you you balance that out with just being like a normal human being? (laughs) (laughs) I know it is. It's like that constant voice, like, how am I traumatizing them? (laughs) Um, well, I'm someone, I I think empaths are like this is Mm. you can have a lot more compassion for other people than yourself. Right. Because you just feel all their feelings and you're like, but you're wonderful. So I do, that's something I actively try to do. Um, when I feel myself spiraling into that is like shift out and, and put it in you statements, like whatever the last negative voices that I had in my head, like you should, you should, you should. I picture just saying like, put it in a you towards someone else. And that can flip me out of it um, yeah. pretty quickly. Cause I would never even feel that towards any other mom, other moms. I'm like, yes, high five. You're a superhero. Yeah. So that helps. Um, I know it sounds really simple and kind of shallow, but it does really help. Um, that helps any, any kind of anyone dealing with perfectionism, just flipping it into the you. And it's like what you said of, oh, all the ways that I'm not measuring up. Like I'm, I am someone who's always had like high standards for myself in any category, but, um, and that leads to that perfectionism, but it's like, okay, I'm not, what Parker, who's my son, what Parker's picking up isn't the things I'm not doing. He's picking up my relationship to myself. Like he's seeing modeled my relationship to myself. So like I have this example of like, oh, he should be nursing. Like I miss that nursing thing, like the, the feeding him. Right. Mm. And I was talking to my pediatrician actually. And she's like, well, what if instead of it being, you know, and I was talking through it with her, like instead of being like all the ways I'm not feeding him the right things it's like what if he's just picking up that that lack of boundaries or he's picking up um it's almost like trying to shift my thinking of okay I'm beating myself up because I'm somehow robbing my son of something but really I'm robbing him from him seeing a mom whose relationship to herself is like grace Mm. so I try to keep that in my head like what relationship to himself is he picking up right now? And if I can't do it for myself, right? Like, oh, I don't feel good enough right now. So I can't do it for myself. I can do it for him. Like I'm going to have boundaries for him. If I can't do it for myself, Um, I'm going to show myself grace and kindness. If I can't do it for me right now, I'm going to do it for him. Yeah. For some reason, I think if I had a daughter, it would be easier than if I have a son. I have to be honest about that. Cause I'm like, no, you are not going to pick up self-deprecation. You are not going to pick up perfectionism. I am not going to pass down like a lack of boundaries to you if it was a daughter. Yeah. Um, so it's harder for me to shift into that energy with a son. So sometimes I actually picture it was like a daughter and that feels like it does. It feels like I'm legacy breaking right now. So I have to, I guess that's a third tip is. I have to get into that rebellious energy as if whatever I'm experiencing, whether it's that perfectionism, um, it stops here. Like I have to tap into that rebellious energy of like, yeah, it stops here. Like F off. No, as if it's not me, it's this thing I've been past. It's like, yeah, it stops here. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. I need to do that more actually. I, and I'm not sure why it's that daughter energy, but I really think I have that, like, you know, it just helps click it in a little bit more. Yeah. I do think as women struggle with it more and it's that, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Because I think it's like, it's also like, um, it's also the, like, a war against the patriarchy as well in a way right you know what I mean it's that it's that vibe as well but I'm sure that your husband probably has that feeling of as, as well of like you know just different things that society has really put on to to men as well like that the boys don't cry mentality like hopefully your husband is like no that stops here like that's done that's definitely not going down to to this next generation that's actually really insightful because that's something I do tap into that like mama bear energy for my son is like when someone is like, Oh, you're fine. You're fine. Um, I'm like, no, you are sad. Feel your feelings. Like it's okay to be sad. And that I'm really quick to jump on. Yeah. Um, it's totally. Yeah. My, I'm really lucky to that my husband's on board with that. It's like, feel it. So I love working with like, male clients when I had my private practice is it's like oh you get this space to truly feel and it's like so beautiful um because there was so much suppression so much I feel like that'll be the next wave if we went through back to that wave you said of you know yoga meditation this I'm like is the next uprising gonna be men being like we have feelings like let's do this of like really owning it. I I definitely think that's happening. There are a lot of, I I see, I do see a lot of practitioners popping up like um, embodiment and polarity practitioners, like with men, like that seems to be Mm. with them because it's like, there's such a, you know, it's great to say, okay, you know, the divine feminine rising, but Mm -hmm. the divine feminine can't really be in in full expression without that container of the divine masculine and I feel that the wounded masculine is actually has been very very equally detrimental to our society um, oh yeah the unevolved masculine energy and moving into that kind of divine masculine energy which is still very powerful um but we also- all need both we all need yes. both and I'm like every workshop I teach it's like usually all women and I might have one man I'm like I can't wait to see more like men in the healing world because it's like men being those models in in like the cultural tribe the society of like this is what it looks like and I think you know we have so many examples now of what healing looks like so maybe back in the day I didn't resonate with like some super crunchy version that was maybe a little bit more like loose, but then I have all these examples that cropped up in my lifetime where it was like science-based. So that helped me see myself in it and go, wow, this resonates. Wow. This could work for me. And I just feel like the more diversity in who's leading it just sends that ripple effect out because people just need to see it. I just feel like there there's, yeah, we need more examples that that's exciting to me. That's really exciting to me. I agree. I agree. I think that the, like Lacey Phillips would describe it as an expander, right? And that's how we, mm-hmm. that's how we lean into things and we grow as we see to believe. And we're like, oh, that is possible. Oh, that is possible. And I, I agree. I think that, you know, 
originally the kind of like wellness world or um I guess it wasn't really wellness at that point. It was more personal development. Like when I was a teenager, it never, like the kind of Tony Robbins vibe never really appealed to me. I always found it very like rah-rah. And even though some of his work is is phenomenal and, um, but it was, it just didn't like, it didn't resonate with me. Whereas then when I, when I came more into like the yoga world, I was like, oh, I love this. This is absolutely me give me my rose quartz mala and I'm there, you know, like that. And so it is like, it's just like seeing what things look like in different spaces. And so that you can like grow into expand into that space. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think for your son's generation, I do think that there is going to be this, um, yeah, a lot of my friends have had sons as well, which is really interesting. Um, me too. Everyone yeah. is having boys. It is like, I don't know a single girl child that my son hangs out with. It's I know, crazy. I know two. I know two, but um, that's the, it's definitely predominantly boys being born. And yeah, okay. I, I don't do as well. Okay. I know two as well, but man. Yeah. It's, it's like this new generation of boys and they are so aware. It is a, they're a different, I'm like, you are a different breed of human, this generation. Yeah. Um, I feel about that, about like the teens right now too, but I think these younger kids, I don't know about like their astrology or anything like that, but I'm like, I do feel like there is something new coming into the planet with these babies. There is something definitely, there is something about in, I'm not sure if it's astrologically or human design, which they're probably, Mm -hmm. probably overlaps both, but, um, Children born after 2012 um, have like definitely are have more like open intuitive abilities, um, Mm. you know, than we did previously. But I think it's also the energetics of the earth allow for that, too. So um, Mm. and I'm pretty sure that when we were born as well, like we're definitely a very different generation in terms of healing and um you know the way that we live and the way that we understand ourselves so Mm -hmm. I think they're going to be the next evolution of that right oh yeah I now I want to know all your human design that is something I would scroll when I was nursing him I was like birth date birth time let's find out your whole human design let's do it I'm gonna book him a reading (laughs) definitely I mean I think human design is one of those things one of those modalities that at first I was like oh it's so complicated, you know, but when I, when you start to take a little bit, little bit, and then you're like, oh, wow, this is actually really insightful. And I oh, have someone yeah. on the podcast as well, Rachel from Pure Generator. What, what is your human design? What's your energy type? I'm a generator and I'm on the app because of you. And so thank you because I, it's always spot on their daily tips. Isn't it amazing? I booked, yeah. I booked a session through the app with this girl. I posted it on one of my like recommended stories. Okay. She's amazing. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're You're a generator too, right? I'm a generator too. And that's so funny because I was going to, I thought you were going to say projector because nearly everybody I know that is around me and there's also in this space, they're all projectors. And I'm like, and I get why that works in this space, but I was like, am I not meant to be doing these things? Like <laughs> the projectors, like, you know, so, um, and a lot of my friends are projectors as well. It's really interesting, but I'm so happy you're a generator. Yeah, we have to like, like 
I'm such a look at my little port. I'm like, okay, this meditation, this meditation, exactly. let's do it. That's why the motherhood's so hard because I do get joy out of generating things. So I've had to reframe what that means. And my son's a generator too. We're very similar. He has a lot of the same things as that I do. That's so cool. Yeah. That that can probably be like a last, that's a really great thing to close on actually. Like is, you know, as a professional working, you know, successful woman, how is that transition been to be in in motherhood? And, you know, because, you know, a lot of times when we, you know, generate energy and we're getting things done and we, we somehow slip into putting our worth into our productivity. So how do you, you know, how do you keep that in check? Because when you're getting no sleep and you've got, you know, you're, you're, you're like you've done the three jet lag flights back to back, um, you know, maybe your productivity or to-do list is definitely not going to look the same as it used to. So how do you, how do you deal with that? Oh my gosh. Um, I, to- yes, I totally, <laughs> yeah, I totally found my joy. I mean, I found my joy in being productive. I love to pack mm-hmm. schedule. I am such a to-do list girl. I love checking it off. It literally brings me joy. Um, it, it's been such having a kid is such a generator teacher because the whole generator growth is do what lights you up and yeah. cut the rest. But if you are a generator, you do find joy in kind of getting that stuff done. So it literally, if it's forced me, since I have such limited time that I only have time for certain things and I've had to go, okay, well, which one of these things lights me up? So I've gotten to see how much of my life was filled up. Mm. like filled up with the busyness. And and that's something I've learned from exploring human design is generators will fill their lives up with that busyness in order to feel that productivity hit that little high when really you're supposed to just let there be that empty space, because that's when more things can flood in that actually would light you up. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I've cut off like a huge, I've just, I can see, oh my gosh, old Jackie had so much busy work that she actually wasn't finishing the things that actually brought her joy that might take longer. So I found the way of like the book that I'm working on, finally launching that portal. Those were launching that course, making my own courses. I was just teaching other people's curriculum before it's like, since I don't have time for all of that extraneous work, I've gotten to finish these bigger projects that maybe don't have those immediate hits of accomplishment because they do take longer to put together. But I've actually got to finish these things that have been on my to-do list for like years that I just never gave time for because I was focusing on more the busy work things that give you those fast hits of productivity. Yeah. So I'm like, I, I think even if you're not a generator, there's so much value in that. Like pretend, pretend you only have an hour a day. What would you work on? Mm. And, that, and you're forced to do that as a new mom. Like, what would you work on? So that it's been really hard because I'd had to shed that identity skin of getting a lot done, but it's been really nice because it's forced me into my design. It, like only choose only spend time on the things that are lighting you up so 
it's been painful. I'm not going to lie, but it's been like really necessary because I don't think I would have done it on my own. I needed my son to cut my time mm-hmm. by 80%. I needed him Um, or I never would have focused on those things that lit me up because I was telling myself a story of, well, you should be focused on this other stuff. Other people need you here. Um, So he forced me into it and I'm very thankful. You also find in that, I mean, I definitely find this too, is that I can, you know, okay. Say something lights me up that I really want to do for myself and it does really light me up. But then there's other things that I do for other people or with other people that also really light me up, but I will always prioritize and show up for those things first. And it's almost like it's, it's almost, I've kind of journaled about it actually previously, because it's almost like I get this hit of approval as well as the hit of productivity. Mm. So it's like, you know, taking that dopamine away from um, you know, from that as well, that approval from other people, like doing something for or with someone else is like almost that double hit of productivity. That you oh, do- totally. You're so good at just articulating things. I'm like, yes, I've never heard it said that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just talking with a mom. We went on a walk today with the babes and it was like so many boundaries around that people please and get set because Mm -hmm. you're like, maybe I wouldn't set this for myself because there is some, you know, I do find some joy in it, but I've got to set this boundary. I'm not, I can't do this. I can't do this with my kid. It's like what COVID did for everyone. Like everyone was just able to say no more easily because Mm -hmm. there was this collective excuse. Um, but then you build that muscle of saying, no, it's same with a kid. Like, nope, I can't, I don't have time for that right now. Um, and I mean, that's been so good now, even when he grows up and there's time, I'll just have that muscle build of like, yeah, no, I don't have time for that. Like I do, but I don't have time for that. You know? <laughs> yeah. I think we really need to be able to normalize just saying no and not have to, having to justify it. You know, mm-hmm. I think that that's something that's really challenging for me. It's like, if I'm going to say no to something, it's like, I almost have to, it, it's, I guess it's actually a form of asking permission, which you really need to let go of, you know, but it's like, I'm almost sort of like, I have to have something to justify. And it's like, no, actually, I just don't want to. Like, why does, you know, why does that hurt people? You know what I mean? Or offend people. It's like, you know what? I'm okay. There's things that you don't want to do. I don't want to do, you know what I mean? But um, we, we don't really do that. We always have to, we always seem to have to find ways to justify like a, a good reason to say no. It's like, no, just because it's actually not lighting me up. And I'm, I, I mean, I have used this actually before with people, you know what, that's actually not lighting me up. And I'm really trying to honor my generator <laughs> energy. Yes. You can only say that to certain people that understand what mine <laughs> is. That- when you do, that, people get very excited about it. You know, like they're like, wow, yes, like, let's do that. You know, so- it's all the energy you bring when you say it. I'm like, I just have to get into a space and I'm like, I trust that they can handle my now. You know what I mean? Because when I feel guilty, which that's what I would do. I would feel guilty. I'm like, that's sending this energy that says you can't handle my now. You can't handle this appointment. It's like, what kind of message is that? What kind of assumption is that? So I'm like, I have to think like they are an empowered person. They can handle my now and say it from that place. 
I was like deep in some energy work and I just felt this message of like your greatest healing and growth has come from your disappointments. So don't rob people from that. Like, Mm. wow. Yeah. Don't rob, don't rob people from having to look inward of why they're triggered by you. Don't rob them from that. Like let them do the inner work. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard that in the context of relationships when people are finding it really difficult to leave a relationship that they know they should leave. And instead of feeling Mm -hmm. guilty about it, it's like sort of feel guilty for staying because you're actually robbing that person of being with someone that truly wants to be with them. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's really profound because like, you know, you're kind of like half-assing it in this relationship whereas they actually deserve to be with someone that really wants to be with them and you're you're taking up that space right now yes yes it's so spot on I've heard that too and even speaking of child work you know I even people who don't have children like when you say you set bound like it's easier for you to set set a boundary for your son like Mm. I I sometimes think about that um in terms of inner child work and I'm like if this was, you know, toddler version of me, or sometimes I actually think of my nephew, if someone was behaving mm-hmm. this way to my nephew, how would I, you know, how would I treat that person? Or how would I behave with that person? How would I respond to that person? And that gives me like a better insight into how I should be responding from my own self, right? Because yes, much more everyone should just you than me. <laughs> Yeah, everyone should just have their baby picture up where they can see it at all times. Yeah. I'm like, just keep that, keep that reminder there. Like, what would you allow to go down in front of them? But don't let it to allow it to go down in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, just finishing off, any resources, um, any podcasts, Instagram accounts, or YouTube channels or books? that you're really geeking out on at the moment and you think that our listeners would would really benefit from? Hmm. Well, I love yours because you just like synthesize and cheerlead all the best. So if you're not on your stories, (laughs) um, I'm super into that human design app. Um, It's so helpful. You just have to know your birth year and date. Um, And it's awesome. And time. Yeah, your birth year and time. Get your exact time, a.m. p.m. What else am I looking at? I feel like so much. I've just really gotten into TikTok again. And I just love these TikTok people. I'm super into like Doc Amen. Okay. It's like spelled Amen. But he is all about brain health, mental health. Do you follow him? I don't. I'm not a TikTok person. He's on Instagram too. Oh, he's on Instagram? Yes. He's on Instagram. Doc, it's spelled Amen. Like Doc Amen. And he um, does brain scans and he does, he has little mini episodes where he's talking to celebrities, but he's all about changing the narrative about mental health as just like brain health. So he'll counsel people on, he shows them their brain scans and he goes into stuff like diet, mental, emotional work you can do. He's super um, proponent of EMDR Mm. therapy for trauma. Um, he was very like into like, okay, getting off substances. So I'm, I love him cause he just brings so much science and I'm learning so much from what he says. Yeah. yeah. So that's definitely, I think that's my main one right now. That's like really different than what I probably said last time, but. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. 
And what's I, up from you for you? You're constantly adding new meditations to your portal. So it's like, I mean, it's such a big resource. Like it really, you've covered so much ground in this portal that I just love it because I can just dip into, um, you know, whatever I'm feeling. Oh, perfectionism. Yeah, let me have a look at that. Oh, some anxiety, family drama. Oh, yeah, exactly. But, you know, um, the, I think the boundaries one is really good. Um, I really, really um, have used that a, a several times. Like in in terms of work, if I've needed to set a boundary at work, I'll just jump in and I'll do that meditation, that tapping meditation, before I need to, you know, go in and, and have that conversation with one of my employees. Um, so that's been really useful. And um, so I know that you're constantly adding content to that. What else have you got um, brewing for us? What else do I have? Well, I've had a few requests from people who are in the portal that they do the meditation, but they just want a quick reminder, like almost a tapping script. So that's something I'll be adding. So with the, I'll start with the like popular categories, like anxiety, procrastination, people pleasing and perfectionism. I think those are the most used. Yeah. Um, and I'll just under that audio button, because if you're visual, it's like you have the topic and then under each category, there's these four meditations or tapping exercises that are audios. Um, but underneath each, you can like click and just get a little prompt that you could download to your phone. So you could just have it do the little tapping right before you walk into that conversation just exactly. as a resource. So you're not having to log in. So that definitely um, and then my book, I'm working on my book. I'm going to be submitting to agents and publishers soon, but that's the whole framework of my practice makes peace portal. It's, um, it's on the seven root causes of anxiety. It goes into trauma. It's basically all the deeper work that I would do with a client. And it, each chapter walks you through the exercise to work through the root cause, whether it's trauma or like your anxiety set points and comfort zones or inherited trauma. So I'm really excited about that, but there'll be a course that goes with it. So I'm, I'm building out the course because it's helping me finish and fine tune the book, but I'm excited about that. So send good vibes to the whole publishing process. But that's going to be my summer is kind of getting that picked up and, and done. It's like, that's my other baby. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. birthed you birthed Parker. Now now it's the next one. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So I might do the course before the book launches. So that's something to keep an eye out for. Yeah, that'll be exciting. And is this gonna be out in mental health month? Because if if people want to try the portal and just want to try FT, I'll have a free code up on my website. I want people to be able to use it for free during May, which is mental yeah. health month. Yeah, absolutely. It will be out in time. So you'll be able to jump on. How do people find you? Where, where can they access this um, code? I can also put it in the show notes as well. Yeah, I think I might just have it be MHM mental health month. Okay. Um, so let's just call it what it is. MHM, that will be the code. But if you use my name, Jackie Viramontes with a V V I R. Um, but if you do practice makes peace, that will bring you to my Instagram account. Yeah. Or if you do practice makes peace.com, that will bring you to my site. That's probably easier to spell than my name. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much, Jackie. It was amazing having a catch up and I'm so looking forward to your book and your course coming out this year. It's going to be so exciting. And uh, I always love chatting with you. So thanks for coming back and being on the Hadassah Collective. So fun. Thank you so much, Claire. Amazing. I hope you enjoyed this episode and you got some things to take away from our amazing guests insight. If you did enjoy this episode, please subscribe and also leave us a review. And for more information on the Hadassah Collective, you can visit our Instagram page at Hadassah Collective. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode at the same time next week. And until then, have a wonderful week.